once for um, when I was about seven or eight, my dad used to um, sell things at the soccer stadiums in Poland. Okay. And I helped him sell things, you know, but I also got ripped off by Russians a lot. So <laughs> I learned <laughs> I learned a lot of lessons there. Right? Like they they sold me a soccer ball without any of the rubber inside, so you couldn't inflate <laughs> it, right? <laughs> This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. Picture yourself with other high-level entrepreneurs in the northern mountains of Thailand, October 26, 2017. It will be full of masterminds, workshops, advisors, like-minded entrepreneurs, and of course, some fun adventure. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to contact us ASAP at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now, on to today's episode. He learned from a young age how to sell and negotiate business by getting haggled by Russian vendors. His family moved from Poland to the U.S. to escape communism, and his parents took any job they could to survive. Seeing all this as a young man motivated our guest today to never want a job and keep moving forward as an entrepreneur, publisher, salesman, and one of the top Polish hip-hop artists. His name is Tom Lee Belt. Tom joins us today from Chiang Mai, Thailand, and shares about his life, his successes, and his mindset. Tom seems like one of those guys with a Midas touch, where everything he works on turns into gold. He's published around 2,000 Kindle books, built a successful SEO business, owned a coffee shop, a retail store, a record label, created a documentary, and released two albums with five hits on top 10 Polish radio. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Lee Belt. Welcome, Tom, to the show. How are you doing today? Doing good, man. I hear you're in the glorious land of Chiang Mai. The glorious land of <laughs> Chiang Mai. I've never heard it addressed like that, but okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good balanced city, but glorious? I'm yeah. not sure. <laughs> Why, uh, you've been there quite a while, right? Yeah, two years on and off. Yeah. What do you like about it? Like I said, it's balanced, right? So you have some of the city life. Um, it's close to Bangkok, and there's a lot of nature around too. So I find this a good balance. Yeah. Um, I've lived in a lot of cities, and, and I think for the money I'm spending, I get a lot back, a lot more than I would maybe in some others. So it's okay. It's good for now. It's good for work. Yeah. Um, do you think you'll stay there another two years? Two years? Mm, Don't know. Probably. At least another year, I think. Um, I, I'm thinking of, of going down south, right? So I've explored the south of Thailand by all the beaches, and I think... You know, people said it's so expensive, but I didn't feel any of that. But I just seen it's so much nicer. Uh, I mean, maybe just because you got the ocean right next to it. Yeah. But it, it just seems so much nicer in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I've been really thinking about that, too. Well, we've been talking a lot about Chiang Mai on the podcast because, um, well, we'll be down there. and We're doing an event here pretty soon in Chiang Mai. So we're excited. And we're just kind of addressing the cool things about Chiang Mai and why people go there. And then the kind of stereotypes about Chiang Mai, too, because there's a lot of people that are like, oh, that's just where the $500 a month freelancers go. And it's not necessarily true because there's a lot of higher level entrepreneurs like yourself that are still hanging out in Chiang Mai and really enjoy the environment. So it's good to know what you like about it, too. Welcome to the show, man. And so you and I met two years ago, I believe, in Chiang Mai that I recall. You know, I got to know a little bit about you. And at the time, you you had just finished your documentary, I think, Your Own Way Out. And I started reading your resume and I was like, wow, you've done a lot, Tom. Like I just 
kind of assumed that, oh, Tom did a documentary and probably has a business and does decent. But then, like, I read it, started reading your resume. He's published, Tom's published over 500 books on Kindle, um, worked in inside-outside retail sales, uh, is now doing an online course with a Muay Thai champion, uh, has a business that focuses on local SEO, has a retail store, a record label, a coffee shop. You've done a documentary for location independent entrepreneurs, and you've released two albums with five hits on the top 10 on Polish radio. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It does seem like that, right? When you look back, but I feel like, oh, I'm not doing anything. And it's funny because my friends are always saying, dude, you're like the hardest working person I know. And I'm like, really? Like, then how so? Like, I just don't see it. Maybe, I don't know. It's, it's funny. Yeah. I, I, I can kind of feel that too because like when I look over my resume, I don't value it as much as I think other people from outside eyes do because me personally, I'm always focused on what's next, right? What am I working on now and what's next? And so I'm actually working to just kind of value the things that I've done in my life and appreciate them a little more. Um, I'm curious, like you're, you're – it sounds like you're very hardworking if your friends are telling you that. What What's the drive that keeps you going? Mm, I, I thought about that for a while too. Um, well, so when I was about 10, um, we moved from – me and my parents, we moved from Poland to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we had like $500 in our pocket. And just that, uh, that thought of not being broke ever again. I think that's something that's just been stuck in the back of my head and just driving me, you know, like this will never happen again. Cause I mean, it wasn't pleasant, you know, like we, we came to um, some family and the family was just not helpful and trying to take money from us from day one. Wow. So, yeah. And, and I seen just the way my parents were and I was like, wow, I just thought maybe, maybe I just can't um, get over that some kind of trauma, you know, and, and it's just driving me. Um, but that's, I think the closest I can get to an answer. What drove your parents to immigrate from Poland to the U S what was that? So this was, this was before the European union, right? This was before the borders opened. Like my dad, um, cause we're um, partly German too. So, um, we easily could have just went to Germany and got citizenships there. Um, but my mom didn't want to. So, she had the family in the States um, and, and they thought, well, we got to leave Poland because it was just a close up communist country back then. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so, so they got up and left and they chose America. Like my dad's been saying for years, if, oh, if he knew the European Union would have happened, he would have just went to Germany and never looked back. <laughs> um, when I think of it, it's better that we came to the U.S. because um, I can get a citizenship in Germany now, but they want you to give up all your other passports, right? So. With America, I have two passports now, the Polish one, which is the European Union one, and the American one. And starting a business in America is just so much easier than Europe, you know? Like, yeah. there are just, it's just such a different ballgame, right, when it comes to taxes and, and everything. Um, I think starting a business in Germany right now would have been a hassle, and I would have been dreaming about getting away from the country as much as possible and, and trying to move my business offshore. Um, which I don't really have to do with the American one. I mean, I do have it set up in a good way, but it's just so much easier. So I'm, I'm really happy they, they made that choice. Uh, but where, yeah, it, it wasn't always easy. Where did your family first live when they came to the U.S.? We were right around Chicago. Okay. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't bad. Um, you know, big city, um, but still, it's just you know, not having any money, not having any supporting family. I just. 
you know, I was still a happy kid, but just I, I just remember my parents like they struggled a lot. What type of work were they doing when they eventually? Found- I think I think they did anything. They were um, cleaning offices, and uh, my mom worked at a nursing home, I think, and my dad was a driver somewhere. Like I mean, they did any little work they could. And, you know, they exchanged all this time because I didn't see them. I woke up and I just went to the school bus. They were gone. When I came back, I was by myself. And when I went to sleep, they still haven't came back. But, just, you know, they, they just have some food for me. So I've seen they traded all these hours and they didn't have almost any money. So I just thought, wow, you know, like there's there's got to be something better. And I think that left a bad taste in my mouth about jobs in general. Mm. And even though I did work for a lot of corporations and I earned a lot of experience, I just never thought that I would stick out for too long. Like I would not be that guy that sits somewhere for 20 years in a cubicle and complains about, you know, how things are. I just, I just didn't want to do that. Did you end up going to university? I did. I actually went to three. Oh, wow. <laughs> On purpose? Yeah, like, well, the first one I went to, um, because my school paid for it, they had, um, Okay. They had this program um, where you could finish. Well, so back in back in high school, I barely went. Right, I was one of those kids, you know, mm-hmm. just selling weed and doing things my own way. And I skipped pretty much three years of school. And then they put me in a class with like these really problem kids, right? Just because of uh, me not attending much. And I found out about this other program where you can get on the um, on the computer and you can finish classes at your own pace mm-hmm. and you know get out of high school so I finished the whole high school in six months and they said whoa I was one of the first ones wow and they paid for about a year of my education right and then I was also the first kid who actually got through and graduated from the college um, so this was in marketing um, then um, I was in the music industry a bit too because I had a record store and I was drinking um, some beer I remember at a house party and someone said like oh man there's a great school for sound engineers in Florida so I packed up solo my shit and left there and finished <laughs> that <laughs> okay <laughs> and one of the teachers um, I, I bugged him a lot because he came from New York from the um, from one of the studios I, I wanted to work with and he got me the introduction so I Packed up after that, went to New York and got into that studio. Um, but the studios were shutting down left and right. Mm-hmm. And I started applying for some of these sales jobs. And I've seen that the best ones all required a bachelor degree because I had two associates, right? Okay. So then I found a school that would take as many credits as I, you know, as I could transfer and finish that too. So I had a bachelor's, even though. I didn't care for it. I just needed something to. Um, and it's funny too. Some of these corporations actually paid. Um, for some of my schooling too, just because you know they're like, oh, we already hired you. You know, it was, it was a funny thing, but yeah, I was able to kind of squeeze in always somehow. So, what was your your was your first entrepreneurial venture selling weed when you were a kid? I think so. I mean, my first ones were um, when I was about seven or eight. My dad used to um, sell things at the soccer stadiums in Poland. Okay. And I helped him sell things, you know, but I also got ripped off by Russians a lot. So <laughs> I learned <laughs> I learned a lot of lessons there. Right? Like they they sold me a soccer ball without any of the uh, rubber inside so you couldn't inflate <laughs> it. Right. <laughs> oh, man. So I had a, you know, I had a pretty quick lesson. Of, you know, I got street smart quick. Right. Like when I wanted comic books, they knew 
that I wanted this specific one and the price will always go up for that one, right? Of course. Like, uh, they knew, they knew. And it's like, I, I want this one. Like, oh yeah, this one's a very unique one. It's expensive, right? And I was like, what about these other ones? Ah, oh, yeah, those are cheaper, you know, but they knew I wanted that one. <laughs> so I learned how to like misdirect people to a little bit, right? And I was like, oh, this one looks so great. And I was like, you know what? I'll just take this one since it's cheap. But it's, you know, but it took a while. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at that stadium, you, you just had... Um, a lot of Russian vendors, right? And they were this, like the slickest, right? Like they, I learned a lot of skills from dealing with those guys because they just, well, they knew how to rip you off, but then you kind of learn how to defend yourself. And at an early age like that, it was a very good thing, which obviously translated well into selling weed, right? If you can deal with the Russians at the stadium, you can deal with <laughs> Americans. <laughs> oh, man, this is great. Well, okay. So then you went into sales, right? And yeah. and tell me, how many years did you work in sales? I think I've done maybe three or four years. I can't really remember. It seems like a different life. Yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you my mentality on this. And the companies hated me for it, but there's nothing they could do. So I would um, get hired, right, for like by a big company like Nestle and or um, Unifirst or Hilti. I mean, these are actual companies I worked for. There's more of them, right? And they would send me to this paid training, right? So I would get like four weeks or two weeks of like super good like training. And then I'd go out, uh, I'd hit my goal, uh, my sales goal, or get really close to it and quit, mm-hmm. right? So right when they gave me the training and they seen I could do it, I quit. And I went to a different one, right? So my whole thing was to get training from as many of those companies as I can. And obviously that's, you know, that's not what they wanted, but um, I, I just said it was great, right? So I got I got training in inside sales, outside sales, retail, okay. you know, like I just wanted all the sales training possible. Um, and once I seen I could sell it, like what's the point, right? I'm, I'm not gonna work for this company. I don't wanna work <laughs> for any company. Um, you just like the training. Well, no, I, I just wanted to learn how to sell, right? Yeah. And just see how they were doing things. So. Um, I worked for MetLife, which was super interesting. It was a life insurance company. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I realized is presentations mean a lot. Two, second one, you can um, sell people by cold calling them, right? Which just kind of blew my mind, right? You can just get people on the phone and then somehow sell them a dream because mm-hmm. that's another thing. We were selling dreams, right? We, we were giving people these presentations like, oh, in 20, 30 years, not only will you have a million dollar policy, but you can have all this cash value and go on all these vacations, right? Which was bullshit. Um, but that's the way the company had us sell. Right. And then the, um, the fourth thing was recurring income, right? So they paid us a little bit, you know, it wasn't bad, like six months, maybe worth of premiums or a year. But then they had all these premiums for all these years coming in without doing anything. Mm-hmm. So I knew that my business eventually would mostly be on recurring income. Mm-hmm. Now it, it was these concepts which just, I was like, wow, you know, but it took some, you know, tell, some work to figure it out. Tell us what you like about sales because I used to work in sales and I find um, there's quite a, there's, there's quite a few entrepreneurs that have, but it seems like the location independent entrepreneurs, not so many of them have worked in sales from my experience. So um, I'm curious if you could share why uh, – what you like about sales and why you think it's valuable to uh, entrepreneurs, the mentality. Well, if you can't sell, then you're not in business, right? So, you know, marketing and sales are the backbone of a company. I would say 80% of everything is that, and then 20% is the delivery, right? So as long as you have a fairly good service or product, but you know how to sell it, you're in business. 
Um, now, I always liked interacting with people, and, I, and sales for some reason came easily to me. Like, uh, I was one of those kids that could just talk people in circles until they gave me what I wanted. <laughs> Um, so maybe it's it's a bit of a natural thing too. Um, I always felt very comfortable behind a mic too or on stage. I don't know why, but it just it, it always worked out that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just I, I like that you know human interaction. Like I don't I don't understand, especially with digital nomads, why they hide behind laptops and computers, right? And like there's nothing as valuable as actually researching and talking to your clients. You think it is. And I'm I'm just taking a guess here. Um, the difference in personalities, like introverts versus extroverts. So this is interesting too. I've done those tests. I don't I don't believe in them too much, but I usually go from one to the other. I've never stuck on one. So there are months when I'm doing really hard deep work, and I'm on the introvert side, and then there are times where I just feel like getting on podcasts and, and hanging out and I get back onto the extrovert side. So I don't know, maybe I'm unique in that way, but I've never stuck to one. And for that reason alone, I just don't trust that test at all. Interesting. All right. Are you enjoying today's episode? I hope so. We're working hard to pick the minds of higher level entrepreneurs to bring you some applicable tactics for your business. October 26th, we will have our most impactful event ever. The experience includes workshops, masterminds, advisors, high-speed Wi-Fi at a beautiful resort complex. So if you're ready to seriously take your business to the next level, contact us at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now back to the show. So after after the sales life, what was your next venture? I'm trying to think what I did after the sales. Um, there was a lot of music stuff that I've done too. Like I've, I've always wanted to do things in music, but when the studios were shutting down, I kind of had to find my own niche, right? And I, and I felt like, well, if I can't get in from this way because everything is closing, I need to make my own stuff. So yeah, I, I gathered some guys from, from the neighborhood and we made albums we've done concerts you know the the tv stations from poland came to film a documentary on us and mm-hmm. we had those number one hits and it's just you know like i i've done the part which i wanted and it's kind of funny too maybe i was getting too old but i actually got a um contract deal um from a big uh, record label in poland but i just didn't take it because i don't know i just maybe the age was wrong if, if they gave it to me 10 years before i'd be like fuck it, i'm doing it Wow. But at that point, I just thought, well, I don't know. Like, I've, I've done most of it. Do I feel like traveling by bus and doing concerts and coming out with an album a year? I just felt like, no, nah, not really. And I, so, I, I felt like I accomplished what I wanted to. So was your hip-hop group, was it all Polish people? Yeah, it was all Polish people. Like, that's the niche I found, right? So at that time, I lived in Greenpoint in New York. Mm-hmm. And I think the population of Polish people was close to a half a million. Wow. That's a lot. Right? So, yeah, that's a lot, right? So we had another population about as big in Chicago. Well, um, it's like all the Polish people left Poland and came to the Well, US. I think at some point we had about 4 million Polish people in the U.S. And Poland had a population of 36, okay. which was always funny, right? We were always like 4 million away from that 40, but they were all in the U.S., yeah. But this was before the union opened up. I think then they left even more to around the Europe. But yeah, so I found this niche, right? And I just thought, well, there's a ton of people here. Hip hop was quite strong um, in Poland at the time too. And, you know, neighborhood was just ripe for it. How did you, let's, let's talk about getting into 
the the music industry in Poland. So, I mean, it's 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 more than just releasing some albums and then, you know, hitting the top ten. Like, what were what what were some what were you doing? What were some hacks? Like, what got you to become so famous? Well. We did have a pretty good marketing campaign too. We we created posters with us and posted it on every single door of almost any business in the whole neighborhood. So you couldn't walk past the neighborhood without seeing us at least 10, 20 times. Nice. Um, we were able to... You guys did that on your own? Yeah, yeah. To get in touch with um, all the people doing the music um, programs on the radio because there, there was a couple different Polish radios at the time and we were able to do interviews on there bring our singles and you know do some freestyles and things like that so you know that was a big thing but I guess the biggest heck was this so they had a top 10 um, music program right in the beginning um, they figured this out later though, but we were already pretty big by that but in the beginning they liked vote right so everyone had to vote um, for which song they wanted to be number one, right, or number two, whatever. Um, and we had a huge following on MySpace at that time, I think like fifteen or 20,000 people. Um, and we basically spent like an hour a day hitting up all those people to vote for us, right? So <laughs> very quickly we had a hit, um, number one hit on the radio that played number one for like almost a year. Wow. Um, and based on that, we yeah, everything else just followed, and, and people were just like, oh, yeah. The next time we had a song, we just put it up there, and, and it, usually by itself, it just went up to number three or four, or, you know, whatever. But but the, yeah, the first thing was it was just, you know, like people say, when you set up a blog or a forum, you should, you know, um, set up 40 accounts and talk with yourself to make it look busy. So we sort <laughs> of did that, except we just, you know, we just talked to our fans. We're like, look, can you vote for us? Don't forget, vote for us. Every single week we did that. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you're learning valuable internet marketing skills. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is all about the interaction with clients and with um, w- with the people, you know, following you or listening to you or, or anything. You know, if you give them value, um, you ask them to do something, they will. People are happy to do something. So, but, you know, we just took that. Where can we find uh, some of your songs, Tom? Um, I can send you some links. I'd have to look for them myself. Okay. They're still out there, though, right? They're still they're still out there, but it's just been a long time. I think I released the last song probably like I don't know, maybe eight nine years ago. Do you ever find meet Polish people and they're like, "Oh, you're Tom Bell from from this," you know? They are you like Polish famous? Well, you're Polish famous, but do, do you still get recognized? It's funny. Like, there's a couple times I've met someone. They're like, "Oh wow, I grew up on that song." Or. <laughs> Or like, oh yeah, I was in California with my Polish friends, and they were bumping this stuff from New York. That was you, and I was like, oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it's worn off for you now, though. <laughs> well, it's, I, I don't stay in contact, right? But if if I went into the hip hop community and like in, in Warsaw right now, um, the people would be like, holy shit, let's get you on the track, right? That'll be a, the first thing. Um, it's you know, I'm one of those guys that just kind of disappeared, right? Like I I've created a lot of noise and just left. You like that, huh? You're kind of mysterious in that way. Yeah, I, I don't like being a front person too much, right? Like, I've, okay. I've always wanted to be the guy making the money in the background and having someone else jump around in the front and take all the fame. I just, I just don't really um, want that. Yeah, I could respect that. So what did you do after your hip-hop days? What was next? Well, after that, I, I left New York. Um, 
went down south to the Atlanta area and opened a coffee shop. Well, I actually bought a coffee shop. Um, it was like the size of Starbucks from someone else. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to see how that works. I don't actually drink coffee. I could care less for it, but I just wanted to see that, how the business works. And obviously, since I wasn't much into it, um, I didn't have it for long. But at the same time, I, you know, I, I was thinking about marketing things, and I, I learned a bit how to market the coffee shop, and then the people that just were around me, like my mechanic and those guys, I was like, look, pay me this much, and I'll market your, um, your website. And I was learning SEO, um, while these people were paying me to learn, right? So I sold them on the service and I was learning it. That's what, when you started your local SEO, the SEO business? Yeah, the local SEO business, yeah. So I was I got paid by a lot of clients to learn it. Nice. And you were doing, you were just focusing on the Atlantic market or? Were yeah. You- yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty quickly I ranked like number two or three for Atlanta SEO and the sales just started coming in like crazy. Wow. How long did you do that for? Um, so I did it for about a year or two um, before I kind of shut down the doors and just started taking referrals only. And even now, um, we still do it. We have some clients that have been with us for five, six, seven years. But um, I have very strict guidelines um, over who should come in because, you know, I've learned the companies that will be easy to work with and not waste too much of my time and the ones that do. So I kind of, you know, talk to them and, and make sure they're in that don't waste my time and, and, you know, don't call me about every little thing yeah. um, sector. And then, you know, I still do quite a bit. We, we took some new clients on um, last month too. And yeah, they just fit, you know, so we don't take anyone off the street usually. We meaning you and your team? Um, so or? I have a team, right? I have a team. Yeah. So none of this is done by myself. Like I can't handle all the, these businesses by myself. So I always have a team or a partner or, um, someone that will, you know, take some of the lifting off my shoulders. And then, so how long did you stay in Atlanta? I think I stayed there for about three, four years. And then, um, I knew I wanted to travel the world, but I felt like I have to make sure my businesses are solid. Right. So Mm -hmm. I moved by, uh, to Chicago again first, um, closer to family for a couple months, just to make sure my uh, businesses can survive that and keep, uh, the income coming. And then I left the country, right? So I didn't just go. I, I wanted to stay in the States um, just to make sure that the cash flow is solid before I left. And, you know, after that, I left and it was fine. Where'd you go first? I think I went to Japan first. Did you? What year was this? Oh, man. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's so funny, right? Because when I think about all these places I've lived, it seems like these are different lives. Like I'm so bad with the age. I don't know, maybe like three, four years ago, I think I moved out and then traveled to a lot of different areas, lived in Europe. Um, yeah, some different countries in Asia and then settled in, in Chiang Mai somewhat. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's so weird, right? Cause when you live for two, three months, it feels like, wow, like it's, it's a different life now. And then you move somewhere again and you feel completely different. So yeah, I can relate for sure. It, it kind of messes with your timeline, you know, because normal people don't move like this, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> very true. Let's talk about Kindle publishing, man. 500 books, yeah. over 500 books on Kindle. When did you start this venture? Um, so back in the days when they had the public blog networks for SEO, right? So we would put like a lot of these guest posts on these blogs 
and I had a whole team of writers and, and these blogs were getting hit left and right by Google at one point. And I just didn't want to fire that part of the team. So I said, look, just start writing books for the Kindle. And I, you know, I just was focusing on other businesses. And then maybe six or nine months in, like I looked back and I'm like, wow, this is making money. So I put a little more effort and expanded the team and they're still doing it now. I think, I think we have a couple thousand books out now. It's the, the team's wow. pretty big. Yeah. But yeah, it, it was just one of these things. I just had a good team. I didn't want to fire them. And so, so you just had them do Kindle publishing. Well, like I didn't see any difference, right? Writing articles that help people um, on blogs and then, just doing the same thing, but putting it on the Kindle, you know, just different format, maybe a little longer, but I thought that, you know, I mean, you're writing this, you're writing that to me, it was the same thing. You're a writer. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so they're writing, they're writing their own books, right? Or... Well, now we have a, we have a system, right? So okay. we actually do some research. We come up with some templates and then, um, split those templates off into a lot of different topics. And then they, um, come up with the book. So there, there's a system to it now. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's not any different than if someone's building small AdSense websites or anything like that. And they have to put like 10 or 15 pages of content on. It's the same thing, right? We're just doing it in a book form. Are you writing like how to books? Well, we do have some story writers too. So we have, um, some, yeah, some in the romance field that sells pretty well. And then we have a lot of nonfiction too. Interesting. So it sounds like, okay, so I'm going to say this, Tom. It, it sounds like everything you start a project on kind of turns to gold. And no. I'll come, I'll come <laughs> on, man. So. You got a great resume. How old are you? 36. Okay. So you're not that old. I mean, you're 36. You've done a lot, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm curious to ask you, like, out of all the successes that you've had, how many ventures or projects or failures have you had that just didn't pan out? Well, I feel like I have those constantly, right? Um, we do a lot of pivots, right, with the company. So I always, um, like, I don't get mad at my team for making mistakes or, um, I mean, all that stuff is fine, right? We, we do a lot more research now, too, um, to make sure that uh, the things we do will pan out a little better. So I'll give you one example. So I'm working on an online training with a Muay Thai champion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and for... You know, a second there, I, I seen all the people making money on Amazon. And I said, whoa, what if we come up with a Muay Thai brand and sell the training along with it on Amazon? But instead of putting it out there like I would before, I um, called Travis and sent him my ideas. And Travis just, you know, Travis Jameson, I don't know if you've had him on the podcast yet, but he had the AMZ tracker. Uh, and yeah. then Travis just says, uh, no, nobody. These are shit. Like, I, I would not do these myself. You're not going to make money. And that was it, right? So, I mean, I would have failed. And I kind of did fail with the idea, but I just moved on. Like, I didn't feel anything. I was like, all right, cool. I'm not doing it then. Mm-hmm. You know, I might do something else on Amazon one day. But, you know, so these ideas come and go, right? Like, I just don't don't worry about it too much. Mm, makes sense. Now, you've talked a lot about your team. So, you have a team. I'm guessing the team for your company is kind of one team with your company that's working on these different projects, right? Well, yes and no. So the publishing team is a bit different from my marketing SEO team. Okay. Um, we do use some of them for the online training and other things like that. Um, we, we do have a new company that we started. Is a que- we create online courses.com, right? So 
I took all the knowledge from working on that online course in marketing it with the Muay Thai guy and started doing it for authors and other people too. So I'm creating a new team around that. But some of the things still fit, right? So I can use the guys from my marketing company to help market this stuff, right? I can use some of the graphic designers from the book covers to do the slideshow. So, you know, I, I make use of my other teams until they get to this breaking point and then I'll start creating uh, hiring new people right but I do like to um, reuse my talent how many people do you have on your teams total 14 and they're all remote um, yeah I would say they're all remote yeah that's amazing man I'm really impressed with with all the things that you've done I think you think so big that it seems like it's easy for you anyway this is what I'm gathering from you well, I, I'm still stressed out, just like everyone else, right? So, we, we, you know, there's there's nothing different about me. Just a regular person still gets stressed out, still have problems. Maybe different problems than before. Yeah. How do you how do you manage? still work. How do you manage your work. stress? Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> do you? <laughs> well, I try to. Right. So I, I've tried everything from like isolation tanks to meditation to I don't know. Sometimes just a jump in the pool right just being underwater for a long time it helps <laughs> i hold my head underwater for as long as i can <laughs> well i swim underwater as long as i can right just yeah. feel like well i'll just different things like that but i mean you're gonna have stress regardless so i, I wouldn't let that stop anyone yeah um, if you think you're gonna go into a business to have free time and no stress it's, it's not gonna happen you mean the four-hour work week isn't a real thing Okay, so I've done the four-hour work week for a while. Uh, my businesses run pretty well by themselves. Mm -hmm. I could do the four-hour work week. So I've done it for about maybe six or seven months. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the profits grew a little bit too, but I've seen different problems come up which could have been solved if I did not do that, right? So eventually you will dig yourself into a hole. You know, for me, it wasn't a financial hole, but it was one which I'm still digging myself out of now for some businesses. I'm like, yeah, we really didn't have to do all this shit. Now, you know, we have to restructure things. And, you know, some of the employees just took it upon themselves to create systems which just are not good systems, you know. So you still got to work at the end. I think the day you sell your company, that's the day you stop working. Until then, you got to put in the work. I, I see so many great companies and some we're even competing with now Yeah, that are just not doing well because the management does exactly what you said. What's next for you, man? I mean, I know you're working on your online course with the Muay Thai champ. What's the next five to 10 years look like for you? Well, I have no idea. But I'll tell you that next year, I'm going to concentrate on the We Create Online Courses uh, business, at least, because... Um, just in my network, I found a bunch of people come on and sign up like right away, right? To, to have these online courses built for them. And I think it's such a hot thing in, in the market now. And I have, I'm in a good spot for it, right? So I know how to create courses. I know how to market them. Um, I'm just in a really good spot for that. I have every tool, which a lot of these other companies don't like most of them either market or create courses. I can do both. Very cool. Tom, man, I think we're going to wrap up there. Is there any, any other tips or drops of wisdom you want to share with the listeners before we wrap up? Um, the one thing I would stress, um, and I think it makes things easier, is have multiple streams of income. Right? I know people say focus on the one thing, and I, I agree on that too. So 
you want to focus on, on one business until you can create good systems around it and have a good team. But then you want to maybe build something else. Like, it's different if you're going to grow into like an Airbnb or one of these businesses, but most of us are not, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I found that a lot of the service businesses that I'm in, once you get past about hundred to two hundred thousand um, dollars of revenue, you need different systems to keep them going. Right? You need a CEO, maybe, or a CFO. Or you, you just need to restructure everything, and I don't feel comfortable with that. So I'd rather start different businesses and keep them in that smaller range, and they're easier for me to handle. Tom, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your tips and your tricks and all your wisdom with us. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, my friend. Sure, man. Talk soon. And listeners, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you guys for joining us once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for established entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day-to-day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for the attendees, and you'll get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year, our main event will be held in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It is four weeks from October 26th to November 24th, 2017. It will be full of workshops, masterminds, and co-working spaces. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. For those of you that are interested and have some questions, don't hesitate to contact us, theentrepreneurhouse.com. We will respond as soon as we can. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.